Good morning and welcome to another Work Human Radio. My name is Mike Wood. I'm your host, and I hope you and your family and friends are doing well. As part of our Keeping Work Human series, this episode features Steve Pemberton talking to Jonathan Kaufman. Jonathan was going to be one of our speakers at Work Human Live this year, but we're glad that he could join us to share his expertise. Um, he's an executive coach, a licensed psychotherapist, and a strategist, and he's also a former policy advisor to the White House on diversity and disability. So enjoy Steve's conversation with Jonathan Kaufman. Hi, everybody. It's Steve Pemberton, the Chief Human Resources Officer at Work Human. And today for our Keeping Work Human series, I am really happy to be speaking with Jonathan Kaufman, who is an executive coach, psychotherapist, and a policy architect, a former policy advisor to the Obama administration on diversity and disability. Jonathan also writes a regular Forbes column called Mindset Matters on the intersection of disability, business, and leadership strategy. Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Steve, for having me. Uh, a lot going on in our worlds, no? Yeah, a lot is going on. I think everyone is trying to figure out what their new normal is. That's where yeah. we are. That 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 it is, and uh, it's the age-old adage of you don't know what you don't what you do not know. Uh, True. Uh, I saw a recent recap actually of prior viruses and the things that they learned after the fact. Right. Um, so, for example, they had a lot of protocols in place around Ebola, and they never accounted for the fact that it could be transmitted and actually hosted through our eyes. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, th these new new realities. So give, give us a little bit of a backdrop on, on how uh, you've come to be focused on uh, this work on diversity and disability. I, I think the, the reason I sort of began this journey was this started for me at birth. I was born with a right hemiparesis, a form of cerebral palsy. So having the personal experience and dealing with a lived experience of living with a disability every day of my life, that sort of became the foundation for which I sort of used as a springboard. But what happened was in this process, I realized that I sort of work in the realm of intersectionality. So while yes, it began with disability, there were many more ways to sort of look around this. And I always thought I was gonna be a full-time academic. I became a social scientist. I sort of have worked both, whether it be in public policy, whether it be as a psychotherapist, um, my doctoral work was in applied anthropology, focusing on the anthropology of work. So I studied businesses and actually understanding how the nature of work changes and the culture of work changes. But I always looked at things through a disability lens. And what was fascinating for me was disability is the essence of diversity. It runs across race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic, sexual orientation. And it's the only minority group anyone can join at any time, which makes it unique because it is part of the human experience. And when you take something that is part of the human experience, then the majority of people have dealt with it in some way in their life, whether it's personally or family members or somebody that they know. And if we're lucky enough, and hopefully we all are, to age, welcome to my community. It is an inclusive community, and that's what's so interesting. So... 
and as I've sort of transitioned a lot of my work, um, you know, I focus more probably now today and specifically in this time, really using the work I've done as a therapist and the work I've done as a coach to deal with crisis and specifically now, if we're, we're talking about now. And what's also very interesting today, April is happens to be Autism Awareness Month. And if we look at the autism community, what's fascinating about people on the spectrum. So people on the spectrum like routine. And when you're out of a routine, that's when there becomes a sense of feeling of uneasiness, a feeling of trauma. It, what's amazing is that most people today now know what it's like in many ways. I mean, it's nuanced, but it has some familiarity of, of what it means to be like on the spectrum in that manner, because we are taken out of our comfort zone. We are taken out of our routine and we have to find new ways and new avenues to engage with the world because we're limited. And that's, I mean, what, and it's so amazing that we actually are in this moment. This month happens to be Autism Awareness Month and we're dealing with a lot of the same issues, Mm. but as a collective species. And that to me is incredibly fascinating. And enduring. Yeah. And it will continue to go on because I think as we are all now dealing with is we're dealing with a a collective sense of anxiety, fear, frustration, cabin fever. And we're sort of looking towards one another and saying, you know, this is a WTF moment. What do I do? And that's where we are. Yeah. There's the, um, the way forward actually is going to be a reflection of exactly that reality. You know, this rarely does, rarely is humanity called to a common experience. Most of the things that oftentimes garner headlines are not globally felt. Right. A devastating hurricane in Florida, a, uh, you know, some man-made, um, uh, disasters um, in different parts of the world are often localized. This right. is not that. No, and I think in the age of social media, when we can be hyper focused on specific things we like and enjoy, and and areas that we're focused on, even sort of in the political spectrum, we can watch things that meet our belief system. So there is this diffuse nature of who we are. But in this moment in time, this is collective. And in ho- the hope will be this will draw us together as, a, as a, a species that says we have a shared experience. And what will we learn from this shared experience? And that, for me, is probably will, will be one of the most enduring and important lessons is what values can we take out of this? And what, how do we treat one another as individuals and collectively? Absolutely. Well, you know, you earlier talked about um, the, the sheer number of people with disabilities yeah. across the globe, the diversity of you know, that community, uh, and the, the acceptance rate into that community over mm-hmm. time is... is uh, you live long enough, it's 100% that you're going to be accepted into the disability community 
yeah. just nature of, of, of um, uh, gaining years in, in this society. Um, what, what are the challenges that you find uh, people with disabilities are facing in the midst of this pandemic? Um, I think that there's several. One is for many people along the disability spectrum um, is access to health care because the fact is we can't touch one another. And for example, if you're a quadriplegic or paraplegic for ex you, and you need a, an aid or a home health care worker, it becomes much more dangerous. Okay, well, you need a feeding tube or, oh, you need something or, oh, you need help or somebody, a child on the autism spectrum. The, the ability to touch and human touch and human connection is lost. Beside, I, I want to sort of separate the politics from this because I, I don't think that that's necessary. But really, the issue is human touch. That for me is is a prime example of how this pandemic is really problematic. I also think that one of the other areas that's going to have to be key, um, and the challenge is, is accessibility. When we're talking about virtual or remote work, the ability to do so. Well, for many, it's just easy. I can get online and get on my computer. Well, are the platforms fully accessible so that one can work? What are the, are the barriers that created, created by one's disability or are they created by society? And that is a fundamental question that is asked, but this is the litmus test. I mean, we, are, we now all have barriers and we are all quote unquote disabled in some way. Mm. So if we're looking at it through that lens, what do we have to understand? We have to understand that the barriers of society and the, the social barriers really have to be addressed. And it will be interesting to me when we are past this pandemic to look back and say, what did we do? And what are we doing for tomorrow? One of the inverses of that is this forced working from home. Yeah. And the speed with which employers have had to accommodate, shift, adjust to yeah. their entities moving forward, whether they're you know, a multi-billion dollar for-profit entity or a smaller you know, non-profit. And given our mutual passion around disability, one of the questions that, or one of the learnings that I hope does come out of this is these historical perceptions about the employability of people with disabilities. Right. Because if you do indeed have the platforms and that it is accessibility enabled, you know, this idea somehow that People on the autism spectrum, for example, um, are relegated to only one employment sector. Right. Is, I'm hopeful that that is falling, uh, that those obstacles are kind of falling by the wayside. Am I, am I too optimistic here? What's your sense? No, I mean, if you're looking at the autism community, what's always interesting, I had a meeting, uh, was a meeting with the provost of MIT, and this is going back about eight, nine years. He said about 60% of our, our student body is on the, on the autism spectrum. The reality is that people with disabilities are, are critically impactful in your technology. If you are not prepared 
whether it's the Googles, the, the Amazons of the world, the, the Microsofts of the world, if you are not prepared to even the startups um, to one, accept and integrate that we have a neurodiverse community that is incredibly smart, incredibly valuable, then you are behind the curve. So, the, But it is important to think this is a valued community that needs to be um, seen as a value add to any company in a variety of fields. And the fact is we are now in a situation um, in sort of this era of COVID-19 where we are dealing with what work life is or can be for persons with disabilities if they need to adapt their work style. Mm -hmm. And so this is a great litmus test for that. It, it is. And in some ways, we're seeing some of the successes accordingly, because yeah. you now are talking about a fuller utilization of the talent pool. Yeah. And you know, disability and talent can and should exist in the same sentence. Right. It just means that there are slight adjustments that you may have to make. Uh, but in some ways, so we've been talking about autism awareness. In a lot of cases, those on the autism spectrum uh, can function even better in environments like this, assuming that there's no disruption you know, to, to the routine. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the more of those stories that we share, more of those pauses are overcome by even by the most well-intentioned of employers. You know, can have a major impact on on things like this intersection of innovation and disability, lowering the unemployment rate of people with disabilities, which we know is always double that of of the national average. Uh, so, my, I, I'm glad you are <laughs> telling me in, in some way that my optimism is not uh, is is not unfounded. I did want no. to um, to you know the other side of of your work here as a psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, because again, this extraordinary life experience that we're all, you know, kind of thrust into. And I, I want to get your perspective on a, on a couple of things. Uh, one mm -hmm. is just the, you know, just the nature of wellness and, and mental health now. Uh, where you have people who are in very close environments. There's a couple of really challenging stories. Uh, that are almost now appearing daily where there's some reaction to cabin fever, I guess. Um, Governor Andrew Cuomo talked about that in his press conference, I want to say yesterday, the day before, mm -hmm. because it's clearly starting to set in with people. Um, yeah. and, it, and we may be looking at this for another six to eight weeks and potentially longer. In your work, what are the, some of the you know, tips, advice, counsel that you can give to folks navigating uh, wellness and, and, and mental health in this time? Well, I always tell people, I always try and relate to people first, because I think it's important for people to understand that this is a collective experience. And once they understand that it's not, I, you know, me or you, um, that this is something that we are all going through together. Um, but one of the things that I always am drawn to, I, you know, the Nick Hornby novel about a boy, and in the Hornby novel, he always talks about that we have to sort of look at life in increments of time. So I think it's important sometimes that we live in the here and now and focus on what we can, 
because there are things that are out of our control. This existential crisis is out of our control. Let's try and focus on what we can control on a day-to-day basis. Slow it down. I also think it's very important to see the beautiful in the mundane, to see, to find joy. That, I think, is really important. We have to be creative. We have to use the one thing that we all have, which is our mind, and find things that we can do every day. The other thing is... We are social creatures. We have to be able to reach out, whether it's to family, whether it's to friends, whether it's to acquaintances. It's incredibly important to make that a part of your daily process. You know, we, I always talk about invisible disabilities, but the key, those, are, you know, when I talk about invisible disabilities, one of the major ones are dealing with mental illness and mental health issues, so depression, anxiety, people who have panic attacks. These are fundamental issues that are being triggered by this major event. So how do you mitigate that problem? One how you, you know one of the issues in terms of how you mitigate the problem is to begin to say we one has to embark on an exploration of the now be very present, see what you can control, because control is vital. We, we feel out of control. Mm-hmm. But what people often don't realize is they have a lot more control of what is in their vicinity. And you create a fiefdom, if you want, or your own kingdom, whether it be your house, your apartment, whatever it may be. And utilizing one's mind and almost creating an imaginary reality but a reality that is yours in your in your space and say what do we do today let's find things to do keep yourself busy the beauty of social media in many ways is the fact that it is an outlet it is a valve that one can find relief um, you know, I always tell people that look at things you've wanted to do. There's always been a laundry list of people who said, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. Well, one, if you have the luxury to work, work. For those that don't have that luxury, which are many, it's figuring out what do you want to do today? What is something new that you can explore about the world around you or yourself? Because I think it's very important that we go inward. And there are many ways to do that. Some people who are very spiritual or religious can find that sort of place in themselves with the help of religion or spirituality. Some people find it in other ways, through intellectual pursuits. I am not, I certainly say that one size does not fit all. But the important thing is to really explore your, yourself. That is very key. And, and part of that, Jonathan, almost that inward, you know, look there that does, there's, it's coterminous with looking outward as well. So, absolutely, you know, in looking inward, you're also reflecting on the beauty of the mundane. Yes. That is external, you know, in the world was going on a walk, for example, or a bike ride, or, uh, you know, just, just checking in with someone perhaps that you have not talked to. Uh, in in a while, it, it just occurs to me that perhaps after 
you know, an entire generation spent on the hamster wheel, uh, hyper-scheduled, over-scheduled, now being forced uh, yeah. to see the beauty, the, the way that past generations did. But, you know, our, our grandparents, in particular, of that, of that generation, their, their coming of age was different. Yeah. Since that they, they had this, uh, I remember uh, seeing a, um, it was a 50th wedding anniversary, and they had pictures of the couple over the years. And I was just struck by all the small moments that they, that they had captured. And I realized looking at that generation, uh, I thought, like, wow, they really did appreciate the small things. But they also grew up against the backdrop of world wars and depressions and civil rights movement, mm -hmm. uh, turbulent 60s. Right. I mean, there, there was almost, they almost had this awareness of how fragile life really was. And right. so they, they did appreciate it in a way that their grandchildren now have some of those same kind of inklings. If you think about the grandchildren, well, they've, you know, came into the world on 9-11, graduating college, uh, yeah. At a very similar turbulent moment, I've seen some other things: school shootings, climate change. You know, all of a sudden, it's um, you know, there's this kind of recalibration that that you know that has to happen. Absolutely, and I think because we move so quickly, and because we move at such light speed, now everything has sort of come to a halt. And for people to reconcile with that and understand that we have to figure out what our new pacing looks like because we all have to pace ourselves i mean i i have this memory of my grandmother in my head who's you know and she left germany and she moved to london and she lived in the london underground during the blitzkrieg i think she was there for over a year and i'm thinking if she could live in the the, the tube and here i am living in my house i have television i have food i have basically the luxuries of of modern living I'll be okay. And if it means I have to deal with social distancing, fine. Because what I think people have to understand is this is about the human chain. This isn't about you. This is about everybody else and making sure that you don't infect somebody else. You can deal with the public health worker who doesn't get infected. It really is about cooperation and thinking about it in a global term. And that's very hard for people to do because they think about their job, they think about their family, they think about their friends, everyone that's sort of within their circle. And to be able to expand that is often hard. We've seen the, the expansion or what Thomas Friedman calls the idea of the flat world. Well, we have to actually apply that and say, this is real. And this is where we are. You know, how do you, you're going to work as a psychotherapist here, uh, how, what, what strategies would you recommend uh, for people to put in place as it relates to how they digest media? Uh, I, I, think, I think one of the ways to digest media is, as I always say to people, you have to wean your way off of it because we're inundated by it and we want to consume information. And there's a, you know, it, it's important to say, okay, how much, it's like eating chocolate, you know, chocolate is great and you want to have it, but if you eat too much of it, it gets you sick. So my feeling is limit 
the amount of media that you consume, particularly in this time, you know, whether it be you watch in the morning and the evening, it's fine. But it's important that you find other things to do, other distractions. It's critical that we mitigate the amount of information that is being consumed in this time. It's very important because I think that there's a lot of interesting information to find that is factual, medically based, numbers, stats, and then there's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of opinion. And it's important to delineate between fact and opinion. And for most people, we're watching a lot of opinion because that seems to be a lot of the parlance of the day. Mm. Um, so I ask people, I mean, my clients, I say, okay, limit it to about a half an hour. If you're going to watch television, watch 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night, or even if it's, a, if it's a six o'clock news, it's usually a half an hour. So you sort of have a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know. Um, and then find something else to do that has nothing to do with the coronavirus because this is the topic of the moment. It's all we talk about. It's, I, I know this from just being in living with other people because we're all stuck here. This is just seems to be everything is surrounding it. So we have a time where we say, okay, we're going to play a game. We're going to do something else. We're going to find something that is fun to do. Um, you know, whether it's playing Scrabble on our phones in different rooms. I mean, and the other thing that is important is everyone needs their space. You know, being able to take time for yourself. And even if you have a small apartment or a large house, it doesn't really matter. You need to have space for yourself and really focus on what that means in terms of self-care. What do you need to do for you? And sometimes you just need to shut down. How do you do that? That remains to be seen. Um, some people just watch television. Some people play video games. Some people, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk around the block and come back, make sure that I practice social distancing. Make a TikTok video. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can be anything. But as long as you're taking yourself and putting yourself in your own space, for a small moment of time, because I think we are all on top of each other. And while it's great to be with family, it's great to be with friends, you need the time for yourself. How you do that, you have to gauge and, and sort of calibrate what, what is needed for yourself. And don't let anyone else decide that for you. No, that has to be completely decided by yourself. Yeah, so if you want to... If you want to spend some time taking a walk, well, that's that's your that's how you uh, that's how you navigate you know the world. I think the other thing that that is important here to, to note is uh, even in those fifteen minutes, beginning end of the day, you're almost just trying to get the facts, as as it were. You know, yeah. surfing, blame surfing. There's yeah. no outcome to that. There's nothing that's going to leave you feeling better, and to the degree that you can direct. You know, it's the it's the age old Mister Rogers advice: focus your attention on the helpers, and yeah. there are a lot of them who, prior to this, we've largely taken for granted: mm -hmm. healthcare workers, social workers, teachers, right? Those who work in the world of delivery, who are literally keeping much of the world um, in its 
belief somehow that it can emerge from it. Uh, right. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that uh, that will be a renewed focus uh, uh, as well. Well, yeah. let me ask you lastly uh, here about uh, your own you know, sense of uh, gratitude as all of this has unfolding. What, um, what in, in this last month or so has given you time to reflect on and what have you uh, come out of that reflection saying, I, I am grateful for? Yeah, I always focus on gratitude because I think it's incredibly important on a daily basis to look around at the people um, that are in your life or even outside your life um, and, and be thankful. Um, you know, you talked about delivery people. I think delivery people now are on the front, are frontline workers. You know, they should be given a tremendous amount of credence because they are the lifeblood of, of how our society is living at this point. So I am now looking at sort of different pockets of society that I never really paid attention to or much attention to and put my focus in different areas and say, what am I grateful for? And yes, I'm grateful for being alive. I'm grateful that I get to have this um, knowledge base that I can give to others because in essence, my work is the giving profession. Yes, I get, you know, I have sort of an intellectual capital and a knowledge base, but the goal for me has always been about doing for other people. So the ability to do that and to be helpful, whether it's doing some work for um, frontline workers, particularly dealing with mental health issues, whether it's trauma or depression or stress, which is a huge one, that is really important. But I think for most people, this is a time when they can reflect and give themselves some space and see what is really important for me. Because I think in many ways we live in a, in a culture of opulence and sometimes we have to say, okay, what do we really need to live? What is important to us? What is of real value? That, I think, hopefully, people will take and come out of this. I'm not saying that one can't go back to their lives, but at least they have an awareness of what, it true, what is truly valuable to you. That, I think, will be enormously important as we go out and we go back to our daily lives and we put up our blinders again. My hope is that those blinders will be down a little bit and we can be th you know, thankful for who's here and who's there. I I've lived in cities for a very long time. And one of the things about living in a city, we are on top of one another. And what you realize is that we are all connected. Um, and it's important to say, regardless of wherever you are, we are all connected. And if this doesn't teach you that, nothing will. Boy, there's no better way to end it than, than, than that. Well, Jonathan, thanks not only for joining me in, in, in for this conversation, uh, but for your life's work. Uh, I, I'm very familiar with it uh, and have watched uh, it uh, sometimes close and sometimes from, from a distance. Uh, so it was a real treat to spend that time uh, with you and uh, 
certainly with uh, with our broader work human family. Uh, so we hope that um, you and your family will continue to stay safe and well. And I am personally hopeful that I see you soon, like really yes. soon. Yes. And Steve, I wish you and your family just be healthy and be safe. And I look forward to seeing you in the flesh very shortly. In a world where so many of us are feeling a sense of isolation and disconnectedness, Let's not forget that each of us is fighting a different fight. Uh, sometimes it's invisible, uh, but there is a certain degree of mutuality in it uh, as well. But by lifting each other up and focusing on uh, those human connections, and as Jonathan put so beautifully, finding the beauty in the mundane, maybe that is where hope actually resides. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow.